0: Our scripture reading this morning comes first from Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 8, then Mark 3 verses 1 through 6, Proverbs 15, 18, and Proverbs nineteen eleven. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted?" And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, and you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then from Mark. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. A hot tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. This is God's word.
1: Thanks, Susan. Uh, Good morning. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the staff guys here at, excuse me, Redeemer City, Uh, and I'm very encouraged that you've shown up thinking you were gonna hear about lust. (laughs) Because you're not gonna hear about lust. So I hate to disappoint uh, if you were looking forward and you sent out a request on the internet to uh, all of your friends to come and hear about lust. It's not happening today. Um, but I'm also encouraged that uh, Drew told you I was uh, up this week and you came back. So, so that's always good because he's a tough act to follow, um, especially when he's been on a on a tear of the last uh, eight weeks or so, just uh, just killing us with uh, not just the seven deadly sins but Psalm 23. It was just so powerful. So uh, grateful for. The work that he's been doing. Uh, he's actually supporting a sister church, Christ Community, over in Lakeland this morning, uh, whose pastor has been uh, on a little break. And so it's just another example of the network we're in and, and the friendships that we have and how we're trying to support one another. So uh, be grateful that you're in a church that's a part of that um, and not uh, not off on its own. We really do have great connections. We're in a series on the seven deadly sins. Uh, we are up to uh, anger and if you're counting, that means we have two left. Lust, and I'm not going to tell you when that one's coming, and gluttony. So um, hopefully the study's been doing its job. I, I think you'll know if you've been caught in thinking something like, oh, I don't really have a problem with that one. Uh, and you come out of it going, man, I have a big problem with that one. We're doing our job. And uh, I had a friend who asked that question in, in his community group, you know, hey, the last few weeks, uh, which which ones have been really powerful? And one of the people said, well, I could have told you three weeks ago that I didn't really have much of a problem with envy or sloth. But after hearing envy and sloth, I can tell you I'm very envious and I have a big big problem with sloth. and uh, kind of laughed and said, well we're we're, we're doing our job. Uh, but again, you might be tempted to think this one, anger, uh, is one that's really, Not that big of a problem for me. So my goal today would be to show you that you, like me, as you'll hear, have a problem with anger. Uh, In fact, probably a much bigger problem than you care to admit, and not necessarily in the ways you would expect. And again, that's been the pattern, I hope, as we've been walking through each of these uh, sins. Make no mistake, anger is dangerous, Jesus himself said, anger in conception results in the birth of murder. It can incinerate marriages. It can disintegrate families. It can energize gossip. It can divide churches. It can turn friendships into enmity. It can erupt into road rage. Amen? Yes. More on that to come. Uh, One author says this, anger is the basic DNA of complaining, brooding, irritability, and bickering, all of which I'm sure you've at one point or another in the last seven days experienced, uh, as have I. However, as we come to anger, we've come to a unique place in the list because this sin is a little different in the way the scriptures approach it. For instance, the Bible doesn't speak positively about envy ever, right? Greed isn't seen as being a good thing either, no exceptions to that, but anger is different. Uh, in fact, our assurance of pardon may have caught you off guard where Paul says, Uh, be angry. And therein lies the difference. Can you imagine the Bible saying, be envious, be greedy, lust away. Just don't sin when you're doing it, right? No, that'd be kind of odd. So anger, on the other hand, can be sinful when it's exercised in certain ways, but it can also be sinful to not get angry. And you might tend to fall toward one of those ends of the spectrum. Some Some say we should just avoid it so we can avoid sin and giving Satan influence. Uh, I had a Bible study uh, instructor or leader uh, some years back. I was in, and they said at one point, we got to this point in Ephesians or something, and they said, well, you know, the Bible teaches Christians shouldn't get angry. And, hmm, well, no, it seems to say we should, but we should avoid sinning in the process. So we've certainly got some work here to do. So look at the uh, insert in your worship folder. Uh, Our pattern has been, uh, the following, <clears throat> we're trying to define the sin. What is sort of the sin underneath the sin? The source of that sin? The solution to it? How's the gospel transform it? Uh, we've been talking about how the gospel beats it. I want to talk about how the gospel redeems it. Because again, the the scriptures say, uh, practice this. Uh, just do it in a way that that is uh, that is redeemed. And then lastly. How would our lives change if we learned the skill of good anger? Have you ever been discipled in anger? Have you ever been discipled in how to how to be angry? How to practice anger? Uh, it's odd even to say it. It's weird. Uh, and the beatitude that we're going to contrast or, or or sort of pair up against this is blessed are the peacemakers. You may have heard uh, Joe refer to that earlier. Okay, so those four things they're there in your. Uh, worship folder insert. The scriptures are on the back side. So, what is anger? First, well, depending on your experiences, that word can carry a lot of different meanings, right? Uh, it can create a lot of different pictures in your mind's eye. Someone can be irritable. That is anger on a hair trigger. Uh, bitterness. Uh, that's anger that gets spread out over a long period of time, kind of like a cancer, right? It just it just spreads and and gets nastier by the day. Violence is anger expressed in attack or some sort of destructive or explosive way. Someone can have a short fuse, right? A short fuse. They're usually ones who end up in anger management classes. Um, Someone can have no fuse. We don't put those people in anger management classes, but they actually end up being very cold and indifferent to other humans that they come in contact with. So neither one of those are spectrums or ends of the spectrum we wanna be on. In fact, the English word anger, uh, I I was interested to find this out. You may be or may not be, but I have the microphone and I'm talking, so you got to listen. The the English word anger actually derives from a word that captures the distress of a person who feels contorted with intense pain and trouble. Think about the words uh, angst. Anguish, right? They're all related to this word, anger. Uh, we feel all twisted up inside when we get angry. Hence, the term "bent out of shape," right? It deeply affects us internally. Uh, the Hebrews had a, a word for anger that was the same word as nostrils, because of the physical nature of what anger does to someone, right? In uh, getting hot and bothered, originally, had more to do with the heat experienced by the body from. Blood flow increasing and eyes bulging and veins popping out from seeing someone experience the emotion of anger. That's how the ancients understood it. So there's a deep physical effect that it has too. But at its core, this is the definition I want to give you. Simply put, anger is an emotional expression of the phrase, I'm against that. Okay? Anger is an emotional expression of the phrase, I'm against that. It's an active stance you take to oppose something that you assess as both important and wrong. You notice something, you, you measure it out, and you say, that matters, and it's not okay, right? Uh, David Pallison, who, who wrote a great book that I, I can't encourage you to read enough if you have a problem with anger like me, so I, I pulled it out, or uh, ordered it, rather, and read. It's called Good and Angry. Great, great, great book. He says, anger expresses the energy of your reaction to something you find offensive and wish to eliminate, Okay, So in and of itself, hear me, in and of itself, it's not sinful. It's an emotion that has been given to us by God as human beings made in his image. We're made to react to wrongs, either real wrongs or perceived wrongs. There's sort of an internal switch that gets flipped, right? Something matters to me. I notice some wrong in it. It it moves me emotionally to take a stance of disapproval. I, I then feel displeasure. And out of that displeasure, I'm moved to action. I've got to say something or do something about it. Anger is judgmental by its very nature, right? You're making a judgment on a situation, and you're making an evaluation, and you're going to do something. You're responding, responding to things that are not okay. Now, we all know that there is, uh, of course, a, a wide range of responses that constitute anger, right? We all have heard of the Richter scale for measuring earthquakes, right? Everybody with me? Richter scale? Well, think about the Richter scale of your anger. Something measuring a 2.3 might be your response to someone stealing the rake out of your garage, right? Dang it. What is wrong with people? Now, you, you may have more like a 5 or a 6 or a 7 if your rake gets stolen out of your garage, but I'm trying to be generous here, okay? 2.3, thereabouts. Now, a 9.8 would be if your child was kidnapped and held for ransom. You'd be boiling, Right? Uh, both are wrong, but our level of care, our level of displeasure is massively different in responding. Does that make sense? Okay. Th- these evaluations, these judgments, these disapprovals, they're all moral in nature. So when a friend betrays you, that's wrong, not right. When you're late for a meeting because of traffic, that's bad, not good. Right? When your child does what they want instead of what you've asked them to do that, that's not okay. And so wrong things, bad things, not okay things must get some sort of response. And of course, as we learn in the Bible, anger is God-like. It's an emotion expressed over and over by God himself. And so the emotion in and of itself isn't sinful, but it can go south really quick, can't it? So what's underneath it? What's the source of it? Uh, and so let's, uh, let's, let's move to that. Every time I get angry or don't get angry, I'm revealing something about what matters most to me. Now, I want you to think about the last time you got angry. I mean really angry. Hopping, mad, ticked off, flew off the handle, angry. Okay, you got it? Think about when that was. It may have been this morning. It may have been in the last two minutes. Hopefully not. Whenever it was... What prompted it? What was the occasion? Okay? Just think about that. Get that into in your mind's eye for a minute. Our culture is increasingly angry, right? Which makes understanding it even more timely. Just turn on the TV. I mean, all it is is angry people. It feels like. And, and for most of us, if we're honest, it's usually something, the things that make us uh, angry, it's usually something pretty unimportant. Because I tend to get most angry about the things that affect who? Me. My schedule, my comfort, my plan. And, and when I read about the corruption of the Assad regime in Syria uh, or a, a missionary who is imprisoned in Turkey currently on trumped up charges, I, I get kind of sad Man, that stinks. Now, that's the opposite of what's supposed to happen. Uh, So I have to tell you what a sense of humor the Lord has because I'm reading this book, I mentioned it earlier, Good and Angry last fall. So, so, so helpful to me. And I owe a great deal to David Pallison, the author, uh, in uh, in even thinking about this uh, sin of anger. He makes this statement about halfway through the book. He says, when you've got to get somewhere... But get stuck in traffic, you're handed a great opportunity to learn the ABCs of anger. So what do you think God did the same week I read that chapter? Uh, I think it was the next day, actually. He hands me a golden opportunity uh, to practice the ABCs of anger. So imagine you you have a noon appointment, you're running late, it's 11.55, you're still 10 minutes out, you're driving over the speed limit to make up the time. This is you, not me. This is you. Pretend pretend this is you. All of a sudden, a line of taillights stretches ahead as far as you can see. Traffic comes to a halt. There's a parking lot on the highway. How do you respond? Well, here's what I do and did, thus completely bombing my golden opportunity that God gave me. You get mad, your blood pressure rapidly mounts, the frustration increases, you can feel it, can't you? Okay, maybe men I can talk to a little bit more so than women, they may understand this more, I don't know, but you can feel when your blood pressure is going up, can't you? You can feel it. Oh, it's awful. Now, what's the object of your anger? Well, let's see. There's a few, and I may have experience with these. Well, there's the idiot driver who caused the accident, and if it's this time of year, it's usually an idiot driver from the north. And what are they doing here? Go back home. We don't want you here anymore, anyway. All you do is complain. You drive slow, you take up space. The parking lot spaces, the mall spaces, Publix checkout lines. Oh, gosh. It's awful. Or how about the bozos in the Department of Transportation who decided midday construction on I-4 was a good idea? Sure, let's pick the busiest road in America and do construction on it in the middle of the day. It's a conspiracy. And, and I, you, you can ask my wife, ask my kids. This word, or these two words come out of my mouth repeatedly when I'm in this situation. This is, that's Ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I, if you're, you're there. What are you going to do, right? Or all the dang cars who've cluttered up the road and gotten in the way. So, so now I'm, I'm late. It's their fault I'm late, by the way. Not my poor planning. It's my plan, my agenda, my schedule, my reputation. They're all getting shredded in front of my eyes and it is tearing me up, and I'm getting increasingly contorted and bent out of shape, right? It's little things, though. It's, it's little things, like the router that continually disconnects me from the Internet while I'm trying to stream an episode of Golden Girls. Yes, yes, you heard right. It's on Hulu all the seasons. And so we're, we're watching them. It's great. It's a lot better than Modern Family, I can tell you that a lot more wholesome. No, I'm kidding, but 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 that drives me nuts. Or when I go into the kitchen and we have a little charging cord station and my iPhone charging cable has disappeared again. Because that's where it goes, that's where I charge it every night and when I go in there, I expect the charging cable to be there and when it's not, oh my goodness. Might be a 9.8 on the Richter scale. But here's the statement. Okay, listen. When a little thing pushes your buttons, it says something big about the buttons inside you. When a little thing pushes your buttons, it says something big about the buttons inside you. Desires, beliefs, deep at the core of who we are, those things drive our anger. And so the question is, or a helpful question is, what are your expectations? What are your expectations? Well, for me, I expect a problem-free world where the, 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 green, the, the, the lights are all green, all the way down 27, all the way up 27. Whenever I need to travel 27, they're all green. When they turn red, what's going on, right? Why is I for a parking lot at 10.30 p.m. on a Saturday night, Right? It, I want a problem-free world. The motivational center of your life, if you can peel back the layers, will reveal your heart. That's why at the, at the beginning of uh, this section I said, think about the last time you got angry. What, what prompted it? What was the occasion? Because what's getting revealed is what you crave, what you trust, what you, what you love. See, when my anger goes off the rails into a hot temper, into complaining, into bitterness, the answer isn't getting a breathing technique to calm down. It's not getting a change in circumstances. It's not even other people getting it together, right? Northerners, stop coming down here. That's not the answer. The answer is a heart change because sinful anger is a worship problem. This is, this is the issue. The God you're worshiping must be overthrown. Who is that God? God. When someone offends me or crosses my almighty will, well, if I'm God, then they will absolutely feel my wrath. Or if it's in traffic, they will the people with me will feel my wrath, and I will try to teleport my wrath to all the drivers around me. Again, it just shows you how silly it is. If I'm God, my way must be followed at all costs, and that's the source of sinful anger. Now, if you look in your worship folder on the insert at the scripture, Susan read... I want you to look at what happens to Cain in Genesis 4. The Bible tells this story on page 3, okay? So we're, we're three pages into the story. And it tells the story to illustrate how sin essentially is replacing my will with God's will. So let me ask, who or what is the object of Cain's anger? Is it really Abel? No, it's the Lord. But I want you to notice verse 5. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says uh, Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? And then, after the Lord finishes talking, what does it say Cain does? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. He doesn't even respond to the Lord, he takes his wrath out on his brother. Because Cain hated. Now get this, he hated the fact that God was God and he wasn't. His anger reveals his heart. So because that's the source, the, the judgments, the legal decisions that we get that we carry out, get carried out in the courtroom of our own hearts and souls. We are the judge, we are the jury, we're the prosecutor, we're the executioner, we're everything, right? And yet the trial is always rigged, isn't it? There's vigilante justice. There's no defense attorney, there's no due process, there's no witnesses, there's no mercy. It's always their fault, right? And the object of our anger then gets attacked with this special ops-like precision. Our anger is a weapon. It's used for intimidation and manipulation, and we'll use it to win, usually with other people. So we've got a huge problem. Whether you're a short-fused person who can boil over at the drop of a hat, actively angry, right, or you're a no-fuse person who's indifferent and cold and maybe more passively angry, we need a long fuse with respect to anger. So how do we get one? So look at the solution. Uh, In the call to worship, I'm not going to read it, but what I want you to notice about the call to worship, it's just an example of one of many, many times in the scriptures where God never denies that he's angry, right? You know what the classic... You have a problem, and someone approaches you, and what do you say? I I don't have a problem. Or my favorite is uh, the visual effect of my anger on my body and face, and my wife says, what's wrong? As we're in the car on I-4, you look angry. You just snapped at me. I didn't snap at you. I'm not angry, right? Right? God never denies that he's angry. He's very clear, but he doesn't stay angry. His anger doesn't control him. His fuse is perpetually long, and aren't you glad? Amen that his fuse is perpetually long. I want you to listen to a bit of John chapter 11. You can, you can go to it later, but in, in John chapter 11, Uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus has died, and uh, his sisters say, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. And verse 33 of John 11 says this, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That is the English translator's minimizing of the emotional reality of Jesus. Why? Why? I don't know. I I think we're scared to think about Jesus having an emotional life that was pretty wide, had a a pretty wide spectrum. The Greek says he was hopping mad. What Jesus got angry about in this scene was what drove him to the cross. His anger at sin and death compelled him to defeat sin and death by giving himself. Listen to the words of uh, B.B. Warfield, a commentator, on this passage. This is amazing, so just listen as I I read it. The spectacle of distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, how unnatural it was, its violent tyranny over man. He contemplates in that moment the general misery of the whole human race, and he burns with rage against the oppressor of men. Inextinguishable fury seizes upon him. His whole being is discomposed and perturbed. It is death that's the object of his wrath, and behind death, him who has the power of death. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His whole soul is held by rage. And so as a champion who prepares for conflict, what John does for us in this particular statement is uncover the heart of Jesus as he wins for us our salvation, not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe. Jesus smites on our behalf. He has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, he has felt for and with us in our oppression. And under the impulse of these feelings, he has wrought out our redemption. And so what did the anger of Jesus for sin and death produce? Forgiveness, right? Redemption, life. The gospel says that God himself observed a wrong of eternal proportions. He looked at us In our sin, and he said what? I'm against that. And he got angry, and his anger drove him to do something about it. We matter that much to him. Remember the definition? You look at something that matters, you're moved to do something about it, and you move to action to take care of it or eliminate it. And that's what he did. But here's the amazing thing. Rather than get angry at us, he got angry at Jesus instead. The father came against the son to make it possible For the Father to be for you and me. And as we read in CBR, in community Bible reading in Romans 8 this week, if God is for us, God is for us in Christ, who can be against us, right? Susan read from Proverbs, Proverbs 19.11. It's on your uh, insert. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense, and so I would say to you, you have to know the most glorious truth in a, in, in a way that your very soul senses it, that, that, that your soul tastes it. You have to know that your offenses have been overlooked, but at a tremendous cost. The most glorious moment was not simply overlooking one offense, but the long fuse of God the Father stretched out over all history, past, present, and future, finally ignited on the cross His wrath and hatred for sin and wickedness and evil symbolized by a cup in the scriptures was poured out on his son. Someone had to atone for all the offenses, right? The wrath had to be absorbed, but when that truth, it is his glory to overlook an offense, when the truth of the glory of God in overlooking our offenses because he looked on Jesus in anger, when that truth absorbs down into your heart When that glory invades your soul, it's going to change you into a long-fused person. It's going to change you into a person who is slow to anger and who overlooks offenses. You know, the kind you used to overreact to. Now, how does the gospel heal our unbelief? Well, if you're prone to a short fuse, the truth of the gospel is God is slow to anger. And his anger was poured out on Jesus instead of you. And that should humble you into a slowness to remember you're a sinner saved by grace. So when the traffic's bad and everybody's trying to merge in and it's right there where that silly Disney electrical thing is with the ears and stuff, it's always right there, right? It's always right there. People coming off the 417 trying to, where are we supposed to go to get to Disney World, you know? Oh, man, and in that moment, and they're all trying to get on and you know they're all rental cars because they're all tourists. You, you let some people in. I'm preaching to myself this morning more than you. It could be that none of you are in here, and I'm just talking to myself, which is part of the reason I I needed to do this. Tasting that truth will produce peacefulness, which will result in a long fuse. On the other hand, though, listen, if you're not like me, and you're prone to have no fuse, the truth of the gospel is God didn't stand aloof and indifferent to our condition either. His love for his people motivated his anger at sin and death, and he was moved to do something about it. Jesus' life was one long fuse of anger founded on love. It grew and grew, eventually driving him to the cross of Calvary. And so the gospel can heal our indifference by assuring us of God's love for us. In Jesus Christ, and so we don't have to fear the emotion of anger. And so the gospel redeems the emotion of anger. It turns out being slow to anger is actually God-like. To, to be loving means to open your heart up to the possibility of getting, getting angry, just like God. Now listen, before we move on to the last point here, anger goes bad. This is ironic to me. Anger goes bad when we want to be God, right? Anger goes bad when we want to be God. The irony is the gospel's redeeming of anger actually makes us like God. That struck me this week because our sinful tendency is wanting to be God, but underneath the gospel, we actually become God-like as our fuse is lengthened and we become slow to anger. Now, finally, peacemaking. And let me uh, quickly say this about the change that would result. It might seem strange to contrast the sin of anger with blessed are the peacemakers, but I think the gospel provides us a framework for understanding this as well. As I said a few minutes ago, Jesus' anger at sin, which resulted in his punishment, right, in turn results in our peace. The irony of the sinfully angry Christian is that someone who is supposedly ruled by the peace of Christ is overcome by this warlike mentality, right? You're bent out of shape. There's chaos going on inside. Now, the second passage that Susan read from Mark 3, I, I just encourage you to meditate on it again and again and again. It's unbelievable. Because we get discipled in good anger here, the skill of redeemed anger. Where does good anger begin? You know, the kind of anger that results in peace. It starts with grieving. And I would just point you to uh, Jesus in verse 5. He looked around at them in anger. What was fueling his anger? He was grieved at their hardness of heart. So the, 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 the kind of anger that results in peace starts with grieving. It starts with seeing something that pains you. And Jesus' desire to be compassionate toward this lame man faced off with the hard hearts of the Pharisees, and it pained him. In fact, any move of compassion is opening yourself up to the experience of pain or grief, and therefore opening yourself up to anger. And so Jesus repeatedly in his life was opening himself up to opportunities to get angry because he was so full of compassion. He was constantly opening himself up to opportunities to love. So good anger is a natural response to evil. I mentioned earlier, as, as God's image bearers, we're hardwired for it. But, but like God, good anger is also controlled. It results in peace because it's born out of love rather than hate. It's selfless rather than selfish. That's why Paul encourages us in the assurance of pardon, Ephesians 4. That's where I want to end. He says not to go to bed angry. Because if you go to bed angry... You're increasing the possibility that what? You might wake up angry. And thus you're opening up the opportunity for anger to gain mastery over you, which is what he means by don't give the devil an opportunity. You're opening yourself up to get mastered by anger rather than anger being your tool that you use for good. All the words, look there in the assurance of pardon, all the words he uses in verse 31, words like bitterness, wrath, anger, Clamor, slander, malice, they're all forms of relating that come from being bent out of shape. They come from a place of chaos internally, and and that breaks out outwardly. They're the reactions of me not getting my way, the result of self-concern. But look at verse 32. No. Instead, Paul says, Christians are kind, they're tenderhearted, they're forgiving. Can you be those three things and practice good anger? Talk about that in community groups. Be some great conversations. I would say, yes, you can. Now, how many people have you met that you would characterize as kind and tenderhearted and forgiving and practice good anger? Oh, very few. But the Bible says very clearly, it's possible when you're changed from one degree of glory into another to the image of Christ. Good anger is love in motion. It's moving toward a threat. It surgically strikes the evil coming against the object of your love. And so the goal always ends up being healing, restoration, wholeness, peace. And so let me pray for us that God would grow us in the skill. He'd disciple us in the skill of good anger. He'd convict us where we need to be convicted of our our sinful use of it. But he would save us uh, and help us practice it in a way that honors him. So let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, how we do thank you for going to the cross and being the object of your Father's wrath on our behalf. And we pray that you would transform us with ever-increasing glory into your image. Help us to learn how to be slow to anger as you have been so slow with us. And as you transform us, might we be the kind of people who are kind, who are tenderhearted, who are forgiving as we have been forgiven. May we be the kind of people who get angry but don't sin. That's That sounds impossible. It sounds so radical and so crazy to think about and yet you tell us it's possible because of the work of the Lord Jesus on our behalf, because of the gospel. And so fill our hearts. Help us to experience by your spirit, down into the depths of our soul, the good news of the gospel, that it might transform us into a people who are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, just like the one we worship. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Yeah, as we just sang, I mean, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. I mean, it's one of my favorite hymns. I love that song. Um, And so as as we go out here today and and throughout our week, um, that's, that's what we live in. That's how we, we live in his love for us, and that's how we can go and be peacemakers um, in a world that's not at peace. And so try to bring pre- peace to, to your neighbors, your coworkers, um, the students you go to school with, your classmates, um, everyone around you. So we go. We go with this blessing over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face towards you and give you peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.